This is an ABC podcast. Science is about discovery and healthy scepticism and testing sometimes esoteric theories, but it's done by humans. Humans that sometimes find themselves on a bus that's on its side in the middle of nowhere, half a world away from where they usually call home. Nathan Brooks English usually studies the geological processes that make mountains, but on this particular field trip, the thing he learned most about was human connection. Well, this is a story about field work and how sometimes the best samples we collect aren't the material ones. In 1999, I was a graduate student in geochemistry at the University of Arizona, and my research was on the geochemistry of Himalayan river waters and how those related to Himalayan mountain building and the drawdown of atmospheric carbon dioxide over the Cenozoic for the last 65 million years. It turns out, if you take a giant mountain range and you shove it up into the atmosphere, it's got a lot of silicate, rocks in it and silicon. When it rains on that mountain range, that water interacts with the silicate rocks and it actually takes CO2 out of the atmosphere. And then that CO2 is moved through the rivers out into the ocean where it's deposited as limestone. If you do that to a limestone, there's no net drawdown of CO2. You don't get any reaction. But with silicate mountains, they can act as a sponge, especially over geologic timescales. So we were there to study the connection between the oceans and the mountains and the atmosphere. And it turns out, and I love strontium, I'm a big cheerleader for the element strontium, because it turns out that the isotope ratios of strontium are a great tracer for silicate weathering. So we were there to look at the connection between the strontium in the mountains, the strontium in the oceans, and that connection and that link was in the rivers. So in 1999, as a graduate student, 27 years old, I was there in Nepal with my advisor, and it was the second of two trips. It was our last trip. And he said to me, you know, Nathan, we should probably go get some water samples from the Ganges and the Brahmaputra right before they meet. And the reason to do that, it was because we wanted sort of these bulk average water samples from the southern part of the Himalayas, which is the Ganges River, and the northern part of the Himalayas, which the Brahmaputra drains. So we were doing some other field work. We had some extra time. My advisor looked at me and said, you go and get those samples in Bangladesh. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Sounds like a good idea. Why not? So with a backpack, a change of underwear, 700 bucks, a pH meter, some sample vials, and a Lonely Planet guide, I uh, <laughs> wandered off camp. And uh, this was uh, long before there were mobile phones or uh, internet easily available in rural areas. So it was quite the adventure for me. And uh, off I go. And it took me about three days to work my way down to a place called the Rajahi, which is on the Ganges River in western Bangladesh. And it was a lot of taxis, trains, buses, rickshaws, and even a little bit of walking when I got dropped off about 10K from the border when I wasn't expecting to do that. But overall, I, I managed to get to Rajahi. And I managed on the way to getting to Rajahi, I managed to sample the Brahmaputra River near Bogra. And so it was quite the journey. It took me about three days to get to Rajahi. Now in Rajahi, uh, we knew that there was a professor, Shafiqil Alam, who worked on strontium and soils. And so the idea was I would collect my water samples and I would go to talk to this gentleman and get his ideas. And I did. I met him. I just walked in on the poor guy. All of a sudden, there's this visitor from the Western US just showing up at his door during, I think, one of his students' talks. Um, and he was very lovely and a gracious host and a really nice guy. And he, he showed me around a little bit. We talked about strontium. And then the next day, he was really, really kind 
And he put me on an express bus back to a place called Chilehati, which is where I had crossed the border, and it had taken me sort of that two and a half days, three days to get from. Now, traveling in northwestern Bangladesh in that time was very, very difficult, and for a couple of reasons. No mobile phones, but also my Bengali was non-existent. My only Bengali was what I had in my Lonely Planet guide, and the only other way I had to communicate with people was a sketch pad, and I'd just draw the questions I was trying to ask. If I needed to rent a car, I'd draw some money and a car on a piece of paper and show that to people. And, of course, English wasn't very widespread in uh, northwestern Bangladesh, and so it was a lot of fun, actually, but it was, it was pretty difficult. So I was very grateful when he put me on this express bus from Rajahi, and it would go through Bogra, go through Rangpur, up to Saidpur, and then to Chilahati. And it was great because, oh, I had it made. An air-conditioned bus. I didn't have to get off. I didn't have to worry about where I was going, and it was going to be easy. I had it made in the shade. I had my samples in my backpack, and I was ready to be done. So in the morning, early morning, about 8 o'clock, I get on this bus. I say thank you to Alam, which is uh, Danyabada, <laughs> Danyabada, and uh, get on the bus. And about an hour outside of Rajahi, that's where the bus crash happened. Before I talk about the bus crash, Bangladesh is the highest population density of any large country in the world. And during the monsoons, about one-third of the country size is flooded and underwater. So all the roads in Bangladesh are about three meters above the surrounding countryside. And as we're driving along this country road uh, at about 80 kilometers per hour in this big bus, we come around a blind left corner. And around that blind left corner is an ox cart pulling out into the road. And there's just no way to avoid it. And the first thing I heard was the horn and then the brakes. And then my hands were on the seat in front of me. And then all of a sudden we heard the crash and I saw all the beautiful golden shaft of the straw go by me in the morning sunlight of the window. And then the bus is, is starting to roll. And as the bus roll, I, I do remember my hands moved from the top of the seat in front of me to the left side of the seat in front of me. And then the bus crashed, rolled over and I was hanging from the left seat. It was quite scary. And everybody who'd been sitting on the left side of the bus had fallen to the right side of the bus and all the glass is plate glass. So Lots of people were cut up, but I got down, I climbed down, helped who I could, and then I got my backpack out of the right hand overhead. It had flown from the left hand overhead to the right hand overhead and got my samples. And I walked out through the front windshield of the bus. And I looked around, uh, nobody was seriously hurt, fortunately lots of people cut up, but nobody was seriously hurt. And at that point, I sat down and I, I took a picture of the bus, I put my camera away and I said, well, that's, that's great, I'm stuffed. What am I gonna do now? Here I am. I know I'm somewhere between Rajahi and Bogra, but I don't know anything else. I don't know who to call. I wouldn't even know how to use a phone in Bangladesh. And I'm sitting there, and I'm starting to despair when a gentleman comes and taps me on the shoulder. And he says, come with me. He gestures, come with me. And I'm like, well, I've got nothing better to do, sure. So I go with him, and uh, he takes me. We walk back up to the road, and this gentleman had gotten a rickshaw. And we both got on the rickshaw, and he took me about three, four kilometers down the road to the next bus station. And he had figured out where that bus was going to, and through our sort of broken communication, he had figured out where I was going to and, and confirmed that. When we got to the bus station, uh, he wouldn't even let me pay for the rickshaw. He wouldn't let me pay for the ticket. He put me on the next bus to Bogra. And he told that bus driver and the toll taker boy what had happened and where I was going to. And they put me on the bus up front with the women and children. And at that point, I'm very happy to be treated like a child. Um, <laughs> and uh, the bus took off, and it started going to Bogra. And I thought, oh, this is, 
this is good. And when we, and I was like, oh, what am I going to do when I get to Bogra? But when we got to just the outskirts of Bogra, the toll taker boy uh, flagged down another bus that was leaving the town, flagged it down, and it stopped, and the bus stopped, and he came back, and he grabbed my hand, and he took me by my hand, and he took me off the bus, and he put me on the next bus. And he told that toll taker boy and that bus driver where I was going and what had happened. And again, they put me up front, women and children, because um, I still wasn't ready to be treated like an adult. Um, <laughs> And I was glad. And, and there we go, we up to Rangpur. And then in Rangpur, it was beautiful. They, the toll taker boy, again, at this point, I'm happy to just, yeah, okay, <laughs> good. Uh, he came, grabbed my hand, and, and he took me through the bus station. It's a crowded bus station. It was, uh, you know, full of people. And he just held onto my hand, and he dragged me through the bus station to the next bus that was going to Saidpur and Chilahati. And he put me on that bus, and he told the toll-taker boy and the bus driver what had happened. And at this point, they put me back with the, the men in the back of the bus. And I remember I sat next to this uh, gentleman, and I was relieved, because this was going to be sort of the last bus of the day. And I was relieved. I sat next to this really kindly old gentleman. It's a business suit. It was old, but it was well-kept. Through our sort of broken communication, I told him, Oh, me, bus crash. Right? And he's like, Ah, me, ten bus crash. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, I'm going to die <laughs> as the bus pulls out of the station. So eventually, I got to where I needed to go that night. And I had my samples. I got to where I needed to go. I, I stayed the night at a Catholic mission. I had steak in a, a European toilet, and it was beautiful. And I, I thought to myself, you know what? I actually didn't live through that bus crash. I've actually died and gone to heaven. And these are all just angels who have taken me to, to heaven this evening. And eventually I got back to camp. My supervisor was a bit concerned when I walked into camp with blood on my shirt, but that's a separate story. We got the samples. It was interesting because we, we found that there was actually some other things going on with the Himalayan river chemistry and that the silicates had actually exchanged their strontium with some carbonates in those mountains. And, and that marine spike in 87, 86 strontium was probably more reflective of these carbonates. And so we could disconnect the Himalayas from this Cenozoic drawdown of CO2 and suggest that maybe other mountain ranges uh, were responsible for it. But I think really for myself, the most important thing that happened to me on that trip is my ability and my, my experience of sampling the kindness of human beings. And I'm really, I'm so grateful that somebody, that really everybody that day said, you know what, this is a person who needs help and we can help them and they did. And I'm so, so grateful. Uh, for that. So, Danyabada. Thank you. Cheers. That was Nathan Brooks English from Central Queensland University speaking at our Occam's Razor live event at Dance North Townsville in December last year. I'm Tegan Taylor, your Occam's Razor host for this year. Join me next time as we get a glimpse into the mind of another Australian scientist.